special meaning for Brother Verhoof speaking Dutch. I think you could understand that song completely. So the, the English version, of course, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, we won't sing that. The, the English version of that song is not good. It, it's, it's heresy, actually. It was written at the end of the Civil War, and it was written because the lady who wrote it thought that by the North winning the war, that was the equivalent of Jesus coming back. I mean, the song is just bad, but in Afrikaans, it's, it's very, very good. So we enjoy singing that around here. And uh, Brother Verhoof, this is a real blessing. I, wanna, I want you guys to know how the Lord worked this out. He actually contacted us. Now, brother, you don't even know this side of the story yet. When I got back from my furlough in February, I had a prayer that I put before the Lord, please send more missionaries to come visit our church. Two weeks later, we got his email saying, I'm going to be in South Africa this and this date. Any chance to meet? I said, please come by the church. And here he is. Guys, we have Brother Haviman coming September. We got another guest preacher coming in March next year then another guest preacher for the following September, another one for the following March, and another. We got it three years booked in the, in the future now. So God has been real good to us. He's answering prayers. And Brother Verhoof, it's a great blessing to have you with us. His wife, Adana, as I mentioned, she's from Texas. You guys, if you get the chance afterwards to fellowship with them a bit, just say hello. Let them know you appreciate them being here, but looking forward to what God's going to give us from the Word. So, Brother, you come forward now and you preach for us. Well, I knew Texans could plan. You plan three years ahead, you know, you can't plan. <laughs> All right, well, it's a blessing to be here. Thank you, Brother Flake, for a uh, privilege to minister to your people. And um, again, we met between 97 and 2000, and that is about uh, uh, what, 25 years ago now, for the first time. Yeah. Time change, time flies. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to continue with the. Uh, the theme of missions, and uh, again, to start off with a few um, quotes from men who um, <clears throat> have lived missions. Maybe some of you, you know, maybe some of you have been to, through Baptist missions, and you know some of these missionaries. Um, this is Henry Martin, and he says, now let me burn out for God. And Henry Martin um, passed away in his early 30s, on his way back from Pakistan, India at that time, to Europe. Uh, single man, never got married. And uh, his translation we used as a basis for an update with the King James text, and is now printed, is now on the harbor of Karachi. Uh, and uh, that's the basis, uh, his work is the basis for the present uh, King James Urdu. In, um, we printed 4,000 of them. Um, we can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. Alexander Duff said, The church which ceases to be evangelistic will soon cease to be evangelical. Now here's a good one for the Hollander, the Dutch. <laughs> Not how much of my money will I give to God, but how much of God's money will I keep for myself. The supreme task of the church is the evangelization of the world. Untold millions are still untold. Sympathy is no substitute for action. The best remedy for a sick church is to put it on a missionary diet. 
Do we pray, thy kingdom come, but never say, here am I, Lord, send me? Ewan said, as long as there are millions destitute of the word of God and knowledge of Jesus Christ, it will be impossible for me to devote my time and energy to those who have both. The first work of the whole church is to give the gospel to the whole world. Zinzendorf, the founder of the Moravian, said, I'm destined to proclaim the message, unmindful of personal consequences, to myself. David Brainerd said the following two things, I declare, now I am dying. I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. He died at 29 years of age in upstate New York, um, I think in the house of Jonathan Edwards, never got married, um, tried to give the gospel to the Indians there. He also said, I cared not where or how I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls to Christ. It's again David Brainard. And uh, these are men who have given their lives for a good cause and one day we're going to meet them in heaven. And of course, one of the things I guess we're going to talk to is what have we done if they ask us to get the gospel to those around us. And uh, that's an individual thing. I would like to talk about my subject, <coughs> that is, and to you, O man, I call. And uh, I read a few verses uh, from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. <coughs> Jeremiah chapter 1, in verse um, 5, a young man who was called to preach, and he didn't want to preach. He thought he was too young. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed thee, in the belly I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Our Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak." Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have set thee this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And finally, uh, verse 19, um, God encourages Jeremiah because he knows the hard labor he has in front of him. And he says to him, they shall fight against thee, and they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, say the Lord, to deliver thee. Now, Jeremiah is active during the last days of a great revival, a reformation under King Josiah, the last good king of Judah. And this king found the book of the law with all the words of God. They got it. And 
his successors, two successors, destroy in maybe a few years what Josiah built up. So what can be built up in a short time can be destroyed very quickly. And um, again, we see, maybe you heard your pastor talk about the Laodicean church age, the lukewarm church age, where Jesus Christ stands outside and he knocks at the door of a church. But only individuals open up. If anyone opens that door, most Christians, professing or born again, they're not interested to have Jesus Christ not only as Savior but as Lord and tell them what to do. They decide what they're going to do. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's the mentality in the last days. Everybody does good that's right in his own eyes. There's no king in Israel. There's no king in, among the church today. Everybody does what is right in his own eyes. I learned real quickly after I got saved, God shows me how to get saved through His Son. He shows me the right Bible, the authorized version in English. Uh, it's His choice, His Savior. He has uh, created me for a specific plan. He has created you for a specific plan, for a specific calling. And if you don't find that calling, even as a Christian, you'll be not perfectly happy. You will only have a real fulfillment if you find, first of all, God through Jesus Christ, and secondly, you find what God wants you to do. We men always need a work to accomplish, amen? If you do a certain work, you accomplish it, you know, then that's, that's the main thing. And spiritually, it's the same with a female, a child, a man. If you find God through Jesus Christ, you find peace with God, that's wonderful. But true fulfillment, you only find if you do what God wants you to do. I don't know what it is. Your pastor doesn't know what it is for you either, probably, although better than I. But God knows it. He's your father. And he has given you a book. He's given you a Holy, Holy Spirit. And one of the things he wants you to do is just to follow Jesus Christ. Then you are a missionary. No matter where you are, you may be in your own Jerusalem. In your own Jerusalem, you are a light and you can do things I can never do. Your pastor can never do in your Jerusalem, in your family, in your neighborhood, among your friends, and your acquaintances. If you're faithful there, God can enlarge your influence, sphere of influence. But you're responsible for the depth of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the Lord be responsible for the width of your ministry or influence, however you call it. He's, he's responsible for the last part. You're responsible for the first part. If you do that right, you can see God move. And then you can say, you look backward and you say, man, this is wonderful. I just did what God told me to do. And then God could start moving around. And after some time, and anybody who's uh, a grown man or minister knows that's true, our job as men is not to stand in the way of God in our families, in our churches. And when we're not in the way, and we do what we're supposed to do, and let God do His part, it'd be all right. And the price, we pay in the beginning. But you see the fruit in time, and that's worth, like in uh, Jeremiah's time, everything. Now, in the last days, there is a warning in um, Colossians chapter 4, and I mentioned this because in the book of Colossians, the name Laodicea is mentioned five times. Five is the number of dead, as you know. And Laodicea is uh, the rights of the people. The people want to do what they want to do. And in that um, letter of Paul to the Colossians, 
uh, it's mentioned five times. He says in Colossians 4.17, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Anybody here has given, got a ministry of the Lord. In this church, maybe in your family, among your friends, uh, maybe these little fellows here, these boys and girls here, passing out tracks. They can reach people we cannot reach. I've seen so many times I stand there and I preach and it's a single man. They, they look at me like I'm going to attack them, you know. And uh, we have the street preaching. We go to Ireland in, uh, in July. We do take a week of street preaching in different nations. In Europe the last 20 plus years. And this time we go to Ireland. We go with 13 guys. What a, what a number, by the way, 13. I didn't choose that. Uh, 13 guys, you go and you preach, you know, and people look at that. But when I go with my wife and my little kids and I, I, I preach there and they sing, Oh, then they take the tracks from them. They don't take them from me, you know. I'm uh, the, the mean preacher, but, you know, there's these, you know, cute kids, you know. Oh, yeah, they'll take a track from them. So, you know, everybody has a ministry. You can do that. You can do things I can never do. You have entrances to people I, have, I will never have. And that's very important to know that whatever God puts you there, try to be um, responsible and uh, in that area. Now, Jeremiah... Never married. In Jeremiah 16, 2, he's a type of tribulation saint. And uh, I want to say that about uh, Jeremiah. Uh, when you're not married, you have a, a lot of advantages. Uh, a, a single man, unmarried man, uh, are most of the time the best to break in a foreign nation where there's not much culture. It's a, it's a rough area there. Uh, you have time to learn a language. You can go to places where you can go with a wife or can go with children there. You can pretty quickly adjust culturally. You can travel in dangerous places. You can bear hardships. So when you're not married, you know, use the time wisely to study the word or maybe go to places which it's harder to go to when you're a married man. Jeremiah 1.7, <clears throat> we see there that the Lord said to me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Some of you think, I'm too young, but you can always tell people as much as what you have experienced as so, uh, in salvation and your walk with Jesus Christ. Nobody can say anything against that. So young men always say, when you have to give a testimony, speak as much as your experience goes. It can be on the streets, it can be one-on-one, -on -one, it can be in your family. They can never say anything against that. And um, I want to talk a little bit about the call of God, because maybe some of you are here, you may be called by the Lord. It doesn't mean you're enabled already to go somewhere, but the call can come very young. It can come as a teenager, even younger than that. I think David and Joseph probably were about 16, 17 years of age. And then we're called, or anointed in David's case. Uh, I want to talk about a few things of um, the call of God in a few men's lives. And uh, starting with uh, William Booth. William Booth, in the state of Euphoria, walked the little streets of London. He saw thousands of doomed lives in the 19th century to hardship and later to the misery of hell. People, masses of people everywhere, thousands each week contracting out of life, left to die on cold floors in dark, dingy rooms, five-year-olds blind, drunk at taproom doorways, mothers forcing beer down babies' throats from filthy, chipped containers, dogs dripping with blood after the fight, 
goldfinches blinded with red-hot needles to make them sing better in their cramped cages, the thousands of homeless sleeping on the Thames embankment, young ladies selling their bodies to exist, the workhouses filled to capacity, factories which were death traps, pouring out obnoxious fumes inside and outside to detriment of its workers, disease, corruption, perversion, suffering and hunger. Catherine waited for her husband. Upstairs, their six children were asleep, unaware of the intense pressure on their parents who had resigned as Wesleyan evangelists. Money for them was scarce. The next meal was not to be seen. At midnight, the key turned noisily in the lock. Booth, with shining eyes, entered the room. And with a mysterious yet authoritative gaze pronounced, Darling, I have found my destiny. <clears throat> David Livingston. Uh, I think most of you know um, his um, story as a lad of 20 came to a uh, to read an appeal by Mr. Goodlove to the churches of Britain and the USA on behalf of China and was led at last to the heart of Africa. Misguided intentions, misplaced desires, false motives? No, he has found his destiny. It may come in to many others in the same way. Their sentiments and longings may lie in different directions to those which they finally follow. Here Chalmers, another missionary, said, After 21 years of hardship, give me back all its experiences. Give me back its shipwrecks. It's standing in the face of death, its spears, its clubs, its savages. Give it back all, and I will still be your missionary. Success for him was not in the prestige of fa or fame, but to do the will of God. Other prospects, more lucrative, may come his way, yet he holds no charm. All of his incentives come from above, which find full expression within the orbit of his call. Ordained is um, from a Latin word ordinare, meaning to be set in order, appointed to service. And there may come a time in your life when you realize that you're ordained of God, appointed for a specific service. He calls you to a specific service, to minister to Him. First of all, to Him. Not to people, but to Him. We read about it today in Acts 13. Men of destiny are often called extreme, fanatics, eccentric. Paul called, says, we are fools for Christ. They are misunderstood by friends, families, and associates. For even his brethren believe not on him, it's a set of Jesus Christ. They said he is mad. Whitfield and the Wesleys in the uh, 1700s were laughed about in their youth. One day, as university students were go out and go preach the gospel. But through their street preaching, they changed England morally and spiritually and saved England from a similar revolution as happened in France. Years ago, there was an advertisement six courageous young men are needed at once to go to China. It was in the 19th century to take the place of a brilliant 31-year-old Oxford graduate who died in northwest China with the Chinese, to work with the Chinese Industrial Corporation. The requirements 
willing to risk disease, willing to endure discomfort, eat only Chinese food, and talk Chinese. And if you're not willing to fulfill similar conditions, don't apply, it said in the advertisement. The response, 600 young men wanted to enlist. Now, my question is, are you willing to enlist for the Lord? God doesn't only call you. He, when He calls you, it's a still, small voice. Most of the time, maybe in the service, and you go home, and you read the passage, and you pray along with the Lord. That's how He calls. Now, we like to have a shouting, you know, about the praise God. I like the song about victory. That's wonderful. But when God speaks to you, it's most of the time just you and God. It may be in a service. And you go all by yourself, and you go to the Lord, and He confirms that through His Spirit and His Word. And you better write that down, because there come all kinds of temptations, you have to go back to what God showed you in His book. Now, secondly, you can be called, but you have to be prepared. The enabling may take years and years. It, it may be the experiences in life, the experience in family life, the experience in your marriage, but especially your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's by far the most important thing. And again, the pastor mentioned at the Bible Institute, uh, especially young men or young ladies, when you have time, use that time. He comes right here to give you that stuff. I had to go from the Netherlands uh, for three years, fourth and back after three months or six months to the States to get the same material. He comes right here for you to get it. You better get it. And I can tell you that. It's good. <laughs> it's the best material. Otherwise, I wouldn't leave every opportunity in Germany and Holland and England and go to America to get that material. It helped me a lot to prepare for the calling he gave me. Uh, we read in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9, And the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. You have to learn the words of God. They're in your authorized version. That's the only book in the English-speaking language which has the breath of God upon it. It's proven by the um, breath, the, the spiritual results of revivals, reformation, the last uh, 400 plus years. Um, what's very important is to learn to memorize the Scripture. Learn to memorize words of God. Your flesh doesn't want it. Uh, you young, you young man, if you see the, a nice young lady, you want a number, you memorize it when she said it one time, amen. But you have a, long, a hard time to uh, uh, memorize a Bible verse. It shows you your mind is not redeemed yet, amen. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, and, when, and when South Africa, you know, wins the, what is it, the rugby or the cricket deal there, you know exactly who did what and so forth. And then the pastor asks you to memorize a virgin verse. And you say, oh, a Bible verse. He really asks a lot of us, doesn't he? Yeah. But it's good to do that because whatever your flesh doesn't want to do, in general, it's good for your soul to do it. Um, read it through the Word of God at least once a year. If maybe God calls you, try to read two or three times through the book. Maybe about ten chapters a day does you good and keeps you away from a lot of sin. Uh, start serving in your Jerusalem. Say, Lord, I want to start something. What can I do? Just ask the Lord, ask your pastor, where can I start to serve right here? It may be practical manual labor. It may be something with the children. It may be something uh, passing out tracks, inviting people. But start to do something in your Jerusalem. And especially stay busy. <laughs> 
Uh, now, Dutch in general don't have too much trouble with that. They like to be busy, but do whatever God calls you to do. God always called busy people. And he uses most of their experiences um, you've been through before salvation to minister to others later. For instance, Moses was busy tending the flock at Horeb. He needed that because uh, 40 years he had to tend the flock of a few million stiff-necked Jews. And he needed to have that 40 years experience in the desert with the Lord. Gideon was busy threshing wheat at a wine press. Saul was busy looking for lost asses. David was busy caring for his father's sheep. Elijah was busy plowing 12 yoke of oxen. Nehemiah was busy bearing the king's wine cup. Amos was busy following the flock and raising sycamore fruit. Peter and Andrew and James and John were busy fishing and mending their nets. Matthew was busy doing the wrong thing, collecting customs. Uh, Saul was busy persecuting Christians, but they were busy. They were occupied. Be busy. Do something for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll use all that experience later for him. Now, he gives you a warning, too. Once you get going and he enables you, God warns Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, verse 17, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise, and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. He had to get up and then speak up. Speak unto them all that I command thee. Now, that's a very important thing. Uh, I don't know how it is, especially with the Boer in South Africa, but I know the Dutch are known to be pretty blunt. <laughs> Uh, and not always according to all the customs and be hypersensitive and so forth and so on, that came from your state Bible. That was translated in South Afrikaans in, in 33. That's a plain, blunt book. <laughs> and uh, that's what is important to, to learn to say. Speak the truth in love, but speak the truth in the whole counsel of God. Balaam refused to do that. He spoke only a third of the message to Balak, and the Lord said, you don't go and you don't curse him, but he didn't say that in the beginning to uh, Balak. Moses didn't say the same to Pharaoh. He didn't speak the whole council. He was afraid of the person he had to speak to. And that's the same here. We see in um, Jeremiah 1, 17, Be not dismayed at their faces. You need to overcome your fear of man. And Calvinists have a problem with that. Yeah. Now they can speak the truth about uh, commercial things, but tell somebody in his face and say, you need, you need to get saved, you're going to go to hell. I remember years ago, I was talking to my dad. He was 65, he was a dentist for 40 plus years, and he just retired. I got saved, and I stopped playing ball, and he thought by himself, I told him all these years to stop playing ball and spend time studying for economics, so now he finally stops ball. Let me ask why he did, and he asked, so I gave my testimony. And then I said, Dad, uh, you know, you need to get saved. He said, what do you mean you get saved? I'm elect. I said, uh, well, you're not saved yet, and you know you're not saved. You're going on your way to hell. He didn't like that. And uh, I said, well, can I pray for you? He said, yeah, you go ahead. If you want to pray, you pray, because we only had the Lord's Prayer right in our home. So I prayed, and I said, Lord, open the, the eyes of my dad. And when we were through praying, he started to cry. I never saw my dad crying a time in my life. He started to cry. And my mom came rushing in and said, what have you done now? Look at what your religion has done to your dad. I said, well, I, 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 I prayed. I didn't say anything. I prayed. And uh, I remember about, uh, oh, about half a year later, I talked to him again. I said, Dad, now 
the Bible says emotion is no substitute for action. You know, your emotion is no substitute for trusting a person, Jesus Christ. You need to trust his righteousness. Are you ready to do that? He said, yeah, I'm ready to do that. And uh, my mom wasn't there, and he got saved. And then we started to read the Bible together. We got a good relationship together. And um, my mom would look at that thing, and he said, well, instead of fighting and fussing together, you know, they read the Bible and pray together. So after about two years, you know, and she said, uh, uh, well, you know, how is it the salvation thing? I said, well, mom, it's trusting somebody else's righteousness is God's righteousness is Jesus Christ and she said well uh, I think about it I said mommy you, you need to get saved and she said I'm not so bad we talked to one o'clock at night and finally I said uh, mama you're the most self-righteous proud woman I've ever seen you're on your way to hell she started to cry and said mama your, your crying doesn't save you you need to trust Jesus Christ. And she said, well, what should I do? I said, you need to trust him right now. And she went on her knees and she trusted Jesus Christ. Sometimes you have to tell somebody in his face, one-on-one, -on -one, the truth. The truth may hurt, but afterwards they're very thankful that you, that you loved them enough to tell them the truth. And if you love them, you tell them the truth. He had to learn to preach the whole counsel of God. Don't worry about politically incorrect. Um, in public, I don't know how you do that here. I don't know if you preach in public or so, but if you do, just preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. They need to hear that. And if you do, God draws people to them. I remember years ago, we were um, on the streets in Austria, and we had a banner there with the great white throne judgment. And um, I was preaching there, and there was a lady coming with a little girl. She was about six, seven years of age. And they were looking at the banner and looking at the preaching there and about standing for 10 minutes. And after I was finished, I went to them and said, did you understand? This is about the great white throne judgment. She says, well, yeah, I, I, I like it about Jesus, that, that he loves people. But you think he loves me too? And he says, he loves you enough to die for you. There's not, no greater love that somebody gives his life for, for somebody else. He gave his life for you. He says, that for me? He said, yeah, he gave his life for you. Guess how much he loved you? And she says, well, you know what I am? I said, I have no idea. She says, I'm a prostitute, and I, I, I sell my body so I can feed my little girl. And she said, look at all these, she her arms, you know, and all these scars of, of cigarette butts put out there. And she says, uh, how can anybody love me? I says, well, God loved you. I went through the gospel, and I said, uh, would you like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for you? He said, oh, yes, she loves. She says, and, and, and she got saved right there, and then a the little girl got saved. And uh, we gave her a Bible, and she says, I know, I know I can't do this anymore. She says, my profession there. And we showed her to a church, and you know, she, could, uh, she could get help there. Uh, but I thought, if you preach in public, there may be a lot of scorners and people who reject Jesus Christ. But there's always one or two people God puts by there, and he says, they need to hear that. They maybe not get it through a track, but they hear the preaching in public, and they say, that's what I need. Remember years ago, we were in Constant, Germany. That's where John Huss was burned at the stake. We are preaching there, and there was a, a brother in the Lord, and he had a huge banner with uh, the, the World Trade Towers. It was just after 9-11. And uh, he had it nicely pictured there, and uh, an airplane flying in these towers. And then the question, if you would be on the 150th floor, where would your soul spend eternity? That, of course, was just an eye-catcher. So put it out, and we preached there, and all these people on the terrace are sitting there, these market squares. And uh, I started preaching there, and after about seven, eight minutes, a guy came, and he came about this close. 
And I thought, well, you know, I better go into the right, you know, you go into the right thing. If I go, you know, you can go like that and then get him a headbutt in case off. In case, <laughs> in case, I don't say I did it. In case of you can protect yourself, amen? Your defense. Uh, so I, I was preaching and he comes right in my face and I was preaching, the Bible says, and he comes right there. So I said, well, just keep on preaching. And after about 10 minutes, I finished and the guy looked at me and he says, you believe what you preach? I said, yeah. You believe about that Jesus Christ? I said, yeah. I said, you know where you go if you would be in that building there and that airplane goes in there? He said, yeah, I'm, I'll be in hell. He said, I came right here and I'm, I was on my way to commit suicide. I, heard, I saw this banner. I said, this is interesting. I went over there and I heard the preaching. And I said, this is it. I'm not religious, but this is the truth. This is the truth. I know it's the truth. What do I need to get saved? I said, well, i show you. And he got saved right there in the middle of everybody. He didn't care what people think of him. He wanted to quit life, and he got right saved right there through the preaching of the Word of God and because he knew Jesus Christ was the only one who cared for his soul. And there's people around you, I'm sure, they need to know that there is a God who cares for their soul. If you, you speak up and you uh, go out, God will give you souls if you preach the whole counsel of God and not be dismayed at their faces. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. Um, many times today you have to learn to go along with the Lord. It's just you and God. It's wonderful to have a church, amen, and praise the Lord and worship and so forth, but you're in your own Jerusalem in, by yourself. But if you go with the Lord, it's always you and Him in a majority. Um, God looks for captains to lead the people. Uh, Deuteronomy 20 says, uh, They should have no fear, fearful and faint-hearted. Patton said, cowardice is epidemic. Uh, sometimes when you don't speak up, God can make a fool out of you. And you knew I should have said something. This was my chance and I didn't have the courage to speak up. And most of the time, you lose that battle in your prayer, in your quiet time early in the morning. I always say, no Bible, no breakfast. Spend time with the Lord, with the Word of God and prayer first. And then God, when God gives you these chances, you can grab them and you don't worry about what people think of you. But you have a, a concern for their soul. And they see the boldness. Most of the time, people respect that. They may not like it, <laughs> but they respect that. And I see many times missionaries too. I remember I came to, to uh, Austria, Germany, uh, 20 plus years ago as an older missionary, and he said, uh, <clears throat> well, um, would you like to have a beer? I said, no, thank you. He said, uh, well, this is, this is how to be in, in the culture with the people. I said, no, I don't need that alcohol to be in contact with the people there. And then he said, about that street preaching, uh, you know, that's just yelling on the corner. I, I wouldn't do that. This is not how you reach the people there. I said, oh, really, how do you do that? Well, you know, I drink a beer with him. I said, oh, thank you, I do it my way. And we did, we did, kept on preaching in public. And God gave us a bunch of people in that area who got saved through public preaching there. You can lead souls if you preach in public or you do it one-on-one -on -one there, but don't cut corners. Don't cut the corners, just do right. And if you do right, God will always bless that. Um, Excuses. Oh, there are so many excuses. Here Jeremiah has an excuse in chapter 1, verse 6. Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I am a child. I'm a child. I'm too young. Gideon said the same thing. Moses, uh, oh, no, uh, I don't have the gift of speaking, you know. Uh, Aaron, Aaron should go. Well, Aaron went. And when Moses was on the mountain, what did Aaron do? He made a golden calf. 
When God calls you to go, you speak up. Afraid. He was afraid. Verse 8. Be not afraid of their faces. Fear is a, a big problem. Years ago, there was a, a girl and uh, uh, or, or, or a few men who passed at gospel tracks. And there was a biker who said, I don't want a gospel track. Get out and put his knife. And the girl came there and put a track on the knife. And he said, you're going to go to hell. You need Jesus Christ. <laughs> and the guy took the thing off and started to read the track. Now, as an example, um, uh, a young child, of course, doesn't see the danger. But that other person sees the sincerity of that soul for his soul. And that makes him t uh, take the track and read it. You and God are always in a majority. But don't delay your response for God's call. Um, years ago, there was a 70-year-old man, a farmer, Wadi, and he responded to the call of God for full-time Christian service. He preached his first and also his last sermon after the invitation. He, was, uh, he had a romantic, cranky, weak voice. His body was bent. It was impossible to hear him pass the first row. He was called years earlier. But he said, well, I have to finish my work. I have to get my retirement first. Hey, the Lord will take care of your retirement. I never worried about any retirement. The Lord always took care of everything. And again, I always say, if you like a challenge, some of you men like challenges, I know that. You want a challenge? You just follow the Lord Jesus Christ, make needs up to Him, and just do what He tells you to do. And you've got plenty of challenges in your life. And that's the real life. It will never be a dual moment, I guarantee you that. And the Lord will get you through. And you know it's the Lord will get you through. Now, your message. Your message, in verse 10, we read there, four negative and two positive things. I have said, this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms, to root out, negative, pull down, negative, to destroy, negative, to throw down, negative, and then finally, two positive things, to build and to plant. Now, he does that in his preaching to come on the priests and the prophets and the king of Jerusalem. And they don't listen. And he knows they will not listen. He has to preach anyway. At the end, there are only two people with him. Baruch and uh, I think that uh, the second one, Elimelech, uh, uh, the Ethiopian there. Two guys stand beside him against all the priests, all the prophets, the whole population, the king. And he knows they're going to not listen. And he, he has to go in anyway. Now, that's a, negative, <laughs> that's a negative calling, amen? But I'll tell you one thing. If we go out, we will not have it like Jeremiah, but you will not see a great victory of hundreds of thousands of people coming to Jesus Christ. It will not happen. Um, but you will see results. And the main thing is you do what God, your Creator, wants you to do. That's your main thing. And that's where we get a reward for uh, our gospel is 75% negative. Christ died for your sins. According to the scripture, he was buried, and the third he rose from the dead. That's positive. 75% negative message. But people need to hear that. Because the sin is the big problem in South Africa. It's not colored versus white or poor versus... No, it's sin. And Jesus came to pay for your sins. And when that sin is taken away, there can be a wonderful fellowship uh, independent of what kind of background you have. And that's the need of the hour. Laborers who preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now He preaches judgment as well in verse 16. I will utter my judgments against them touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me and have burnt incense unto other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Now we see that today we have a lot of idol worship. It can be buildings. 
It can be things. It can be a person. We are in a country full of idol worship. It doesn't matter what your background is. In, in Switzerland, it is TV, uh, shows, money, sex, education, position, power. It's idol- idolatry. It's pure idolatry. I was raised in an idolatrous five-point Calvinistic home. <laughs> money and position was the idol there. And now I can see it clearly. But at that time, I was just drawn into that. And when this man speaks in verse 18, we read, uh, Behold, I have made thee this day a defense city, an iron pillar, a brazen walls against the whole land. That man stood alone against the whole land. Um, any nation under the authority of uh, the prince of the power of the air will be destroyed. And, and the God of this world is, can easily destroy a nation when this book is taken out and when there are no more Bible-believing preachers. It's just a matter of time till the nation deteriorates because sin always punishes itself. And that's the, if you want to do something for your nation, you love your nation, where God puts you in within these borders, then get the best Bible, the English King James or the Sudafricana 33, and minister the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to your people. That is the best you can do for your nation. And pray, of course, for the leadership. Now, God finally encourages um, (coughs) Jeremiah. He encourages you. Um, They shall fight against thee, verse 19, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. He is with you. You know what the worst thing can happen to you as a Christian or to this church? That the Lord is not with you anymore. Now, technically, He is always in your body, amen? That stays always. You're saved once and for all. But the worst thing which can happen to you as a Christian, and some of you know that very well, if you lose your fellowship with Jesus Christ. And that's by far the worst thing because you have no peace. Your, 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 your daily peace is gone. You don't walk with the Lord anymore. An old saint said once to a younger man when he came to visit him, um, do, I, do, I, do, I, do I find you praying, my friend? <laughs> In other words, you, 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 you sensed it, the, the presence of the Lord in your daily walk with Him. That's a wonderful thing. In your marriage, in your raising of your kids, in your family, in your work, in going to church, outside of church. It's not that you say, like a lot of Calvinists, well, I went to the house of God and now I can do my own thing and then next Sunday morning I come back in again to hear the Ten Commandments, you know. That's not how to exercise the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, say the Lord. You do God's work and He is with you. He will never forsake you. Now, <clears throat> remember, I was just saved and I didn't know nothing about right or divided word of truth. I just took everything as it stood. And I came to a verse, and because we were supposed to go to a mission trip to the south of Italy. I had no money. Students have never money. And it says there, take no money in your purse. Uh, I had no money. But it doesn't say don't take a purse, because God will fill the purse in time. And I thought by myself, uh, well, I want to see if this works, you know, a wrong dispensation, of course, before the cross, but I didn't know much about it. I thought, this is what it says. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm take a bunch of tracks, go hitchhiking there from Holland to Italy and back. No money and see if it works. So I went. 
And, every, and I had all these tracks in different languages, and everybody took me. I gave them gospel, testimony, gave them tracks, gospels of John, the whole thing. And it was true. It worked. People invited us for uh, dinner, for a place to stay. We hadn't had to pay anything. We only gave them the gospel and the, the word of God. I was about 20, 20, 22, 23 at that time. And later I thought it was a great way of seeing that the Lord will take care of you. If you first seek the, gospel, uh, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He will take care of you. He will take care. I thought by myself, well now, this is me, but what about I have a wife and I have kids, you know, it's a little different. There's no problem for the Lord. You know what the problem for the Lord is? Me, my, and your lack of faith. That is the biggest problem for missions. You have here a bunch of 80, 80 to 100 people. This is a great fishing ground for God. Can you take so many people, ladies, gentlemen, to you as missionaries? Maybe right here, maybe to other areas here in South Africa or in, in Africa or maybe to, to Russia, wherever you, God calls you to. What hinders is most of the time your lack of faith. As the Lord says, increase my faith. You know how you increase your faith? Spending time in the book and applying what God shows you. And you do that right, I'm going to give you something else. And you say, well, I can't do that. The Lord said, that's right, you can't do that. But with my help, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen? Well, I tried that. And you go that, and with His help, but go. And you look back when He said, man, I'm, I'm, I went far this way. And it's only because of God's grace. Lord, that's right, he says. Never forget that. And only through my grace, you can keep on climbing that mountain. And notice here, there's the dragon mountain, Drakenberg here. Right? I always wanted to see if there are dragons there, but I guess I can't figure it out. But we have in Switzerland yet mountain climbing too. You know, the one we have close to us is, not the big one, it's 2,500 meters high. And there's still snow on it right now, but in, the, in July, August, it's without snow, you can climb it. You climb it in about, from the foot, maybe two, two and a half hours, and then you come back. And I remember when I climb, I don't like to stop, but just keep on walking, walking, walking. And then you go up, and you look back, we see all these people, they go halfway, then they go back again. I said, it's like uh, the ministry too, you know, people they get saved, they get going for Jesus Christ, and then they go slow down a little bit. The sin, the sin of life, the burdens of life, the worries of life, they slow down a little bit. That if the purity is not right, and after some time, they, 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 they slide back a little bit. Some of them just stay there. But the, the higher you get, the fewer people you, you see there, the colder it gets, and the closer you get to God. And that's the main thing in, in, in the walk with Jesus Christ. You just keep on going for Jesus Christ. You just don't look back too often, just look upon Jesus. And have your eyes on Him. And every time you say, I can't make it, Lord, and the Lord said, I know you can't make it. I made it so that you can't make it. <laughs> so you're forced to make a step in faith. And when you make that step and you look back, what you say, Lord, I did it, but I know it was only through Christ. And the more you look back, you say, I'm thankful, Lord, you, 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 you took me all that way up on this mountain. But I know I, 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 I could have never made it so far without your help. And it's like burning bridges. You've been so far, there's only one way, and it's that way. And you say, well, you know, worldly ideas or, or pensions or whatever. I'm nothing, nothing against a pension, but after some time you say, Lord, it's all in your hands. I, I have one desire. The few years I have, just want to please you and keep on going what you want me to go. And he has taken care of you already so far, amen, in all kind of ways, as a church as well. Then he can, the biggest blessing is still ahead. But he wants you to go by faith. 
Not that, I mean, your pastor is going here and there and raise money for building. That's wonderful. But the church has to make its own steps as well by faith. Not only financially, also in practice, or maybe sometimes you have to get rid of some family or old friends or old habits. And you know for years, Lord, that's not right. I gave everything to you, Lord, but that, that habit, that, that little thing. And the Lord said, just give it to me. It's maybe very dear to you, but if you have your all on the altar, God can give His greatest blessing. If you don't give your all on the altar, you can't expect God to give His greatest blessing. Now your pastor goes and comes here and raises money for the bill. That's wonderful. And the Lord says, now, what about you? Everybody has his own gift. Whatever it is, just pray about it. He said, whatever I have, it may not be much. Here it is. Here are my hands, my feet, my eyes, my, my strength, my, my, my ambition, my dream. It's all you, yours. And when you give it to the Lord like Abram did, then he can give his biggest blessing. But our faith, our, our, our lack of trust is often what is in the way for the Lord to give us his complete blessing. Rather attempt the impossible for God and fail in trying than never attempt anything at all. Adoniram Judson um, started in a discouraging way. The first six years in Burma, he was in prison. He hardly saw, any, he didn't see any souls saved. Then thousands of souls got saved. Many soul winners came. And, thou, and today I went to Burma, 2020 was it, or 19? They still have the Burmese correct Bible like you have the Sudafrikaans 33 Bible there. C.T. Studd, a guy, millionaire's kid, gave all his inheritance away. And he, he, I think he, he saved about 50000 or so, and then he got married to his dream uh, woman over there in China. And he said to her, well, honey, I had an inheritance, I gave it all away, and I left this 50000 this is for you. And she said, well, what did, uh, thank you, she said, what did uh, the Lord Jesus Christ tell the rich young ruler? Well, he said, give it all away and follow me. Well, she said, what are you waiting for? <laughs> there was a right to help me there. He went to India, China, and Africa and was a founder of the World Evangelization Crusade for Christ. Faith does not dictate to God. It is not demanding. It is never precautious. It is not just quoting all the promises and casting them in God's face with an almost threatening spirit keep him to his word. Faith is accepting that God is at work. And that he is working out his goodwill and purposes for our life, whether at the present it is pleasing to us or not. Faith is surrender to God's will, seeking his interest and not mine, doing his will, not mine, for his glory, not mine. A divine bruise in Scotland said, I would rather walk through a mile of burning brimstone every night than spend over again these midnight hours when I fought against the call of God. Maybe God calls you. Robert Moffat, Scottish missionary to South Africa, 
uh, came to the church and uh, my only la- ladies interested in this talk. And this topic was, unto you man I call, the same topic I speak about. He knew these ladies were not able to undergo the rigorous experiences in the wilderness. No one responded to his call. But a young lad sitting in the back, Moffat didn't see him, assisting the organist, was thrilled with this message. Because of this talk, he went to school, got his degree in medicine, and spent the rest of his life ministering to the unreached tribes in, South, in Africa. His name, David Livingstone. The following words were written on the fly leaf of the Bible of Betty Stum. Betty Stum was martyred with her husband in China. Lord, I give up my own purposes, purposes, plans, all my desires, hopes and ambitions, whether they be fleshly or soulish, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee to be thine forever. I hand over to thy keeping all my friendships and my love. All the people that I love are to take second place in my life. Fill me. Seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Work out thy whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever. She and her husband were martyred in China in the Boxer Rebellion. Now I want to end with a um, poem by uh, the Texas Tornado, D. Frank Norris. It's called Wasted Years. It was <coughs> the favorite poem of G. Frank Norris, pastor in uh, Texas in the last century. It goes like this. I looked upon a fo- farm one day that once I used to own. The barn had fallen to the ground. The fields were overgrown. The house on which my children grew where we had lived for years. I turned to see it broken down and brushed aside the tears. I looked upon my soul one day to find it too had grown. With thorns and nettles everywhere, the seeds of neglect had sown. The years had passed, while I had cared for things of lesser worth. The things of heaven I let go while mining things of earth. To Christ I turned with bitter tears and cried, O Lord, forgive. I have not much time left for thee, not many years to live. The wasted years, forever gone, the days I cannot recall. If I could live those days again, I'd make him Lord of all. Amen. Pastor. Thank you, brother. In just a moment, we're going to have a word of prayer and let you guys respond to this as God leads you. I just want to point out a couple things that really stood out to me in that. God calls busy people. You know how many times we use that as an excuse why God can't call us? He couldn't be calling me. I'm too busy. God doesn't call lazy people. He's looking for people that are busy but want to be busy for Him. And he mentioned today, Jeremiah got called young. 
And God does that. There's a young man in our church, age 10, got saved, said, I want to be a missionary. You know, he's been at Bible school this whole year. And did you know that it's not only young people that God calls? Abraham was an old man, by our standards, when God said, get thee out of thy country. How old was Moses when God called him into the ministry? Eighty. And as he pointed out, the calling... That's one side of it. The enabling, that's another thing where God prepares you. And, and if I can add to what he said there, the enabling never stops. He'll teach you just enough to get started. And then after you get started, he'll keep teaching you so that you can do more and more for him. All of that goes by faith. When I got to Africa, I, there's no way I could have envisioned 20 years ago standing here today ministering to you. No way. But God said, you just take the steps as I lead and I'll teach you as you go and we'll get you there. And here we are. Now God can do the same for you. He's calling. He's knocking. But now it's up to you to open that door and say, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll take the first step. So let's all stand if you would. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. If you were listening this morning, you got something. There was a lot in that. I want you folks to take a moment and pray about this. Ask the Lord this morning, are you speaking to me? Ask Him that just now. Are you speaking to me? Brother Verhoof mentioned in there, one of the best things you can do for a person is tell them what they need to hear. They may not like that truth that you tell them, but tell them what they need to hear. And sometimes that truth is to tell them, I don't think you're saved. We're not trying to be ugly when we say that. We're just trying to be honest because the best thing you can do is get saved. Now be honest with yourself this morning. Are you saved? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? You don't get born into salvation. You're not born into the covenant. Jesus said you must be born again. And that comes by you receiving life that He offers. Have you done that? Now some of you, you've been saved. And maybe this morning God has touched your heart and said, I, 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 I have a plan to use you. And it might take you a few years to get enabled, but I'm willing, God. However long you need to teach me, to prepare me, I'm willing. This morning, just surrender to that. And if you've never been saved, I'm, I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. Just after the service, if, you, if you'd like to ask some questions about that, say, I'm not quite sure what to do about this next step, but... I want to get that right. I want to walk out of here today knowing that I'm saved. If that's you this morning, you come find me right after we're done. And we'll take you aside privately and we'll be honored to help you with that. Father, thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts. Lord, I've been blessed and encouraged and helped and reminded. And Lord, I thank you for bringing the Verhoofs all this way to minister to us. And Lord, I know that you brought them here. They're getting some rest and they took time out of that busy, or that, their, their time away from the busyness. 
to minister to us. I pray you bless them abundantly for doing that. And Lord, I believe that you had him preach that for a reason this morning. And what comes next, the decisions that are made, I I leave that between you and these individuals. And maybe perchance some are here this morning and not saved. God, please this morning draw them ever closer to that moment where they can receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Thank you for helping us this morning. We ask you to dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much. You guys take some time to shake their hands before they go. Hopefully tonight we'll see you at Bible School, 6 o'clock, Book of Revelation.